Sky King, Sky King, do not answer. Victor. Foxtrot. Authentication. Delta Delta. Dave. Sky King, Sky King, do not answer. From London, a podcast about the unknown, the paranormal, and mysterious events. This is Anomaly. This is Collapse And welcome back, everyone, to the beginning of 2021, if that's when you're listening to us. Happy New Year to you. A great guest for this show. We joined by Paul Sinclair very shortly. Steve, you're up there in the Midlands. I am, although I can see Doncaster from my house. Sounds like Sarah Palin. I wish I could see Alaska. So you had some dealings with Paul Sinclair in the last couple of weeks, didn't you? I think you managed to locate a really good picture. I did. Um, I'm on a photography group, which is more or less based, believe it or not, on Leeds photography. But occasionally, well, not not occasionally, a lot of the time, people on there will um, publish photos they've taken. And one from a guy up there in, in Paul Sinclair country took a very, very strange photograph, and he didn't know what to do with it. And as you'll find out from Paul, it was a 30-second exposure, and they got these three lights. And the guy was like, what do I do with this? And I knew the man that we were about to talk to, who would know very well what to do with this photograph. So I put it um, Paul's way, and uh, you'll hear a lot about it. Well, let's talk to him then. Paul began his research in 2002 after creating the ILF UFO sightings website. He's the most thorough of researchers who is not content with hearsay or rumour. He studies and investigates his subjects to the minutest detail, then seeks out documented evidence to back up his work. He's interviewed witnesses to events far stranger than anything reported worldwide. Some are recent, some are historical, but they are all mysterious and fascinating. He can always be found in the countryside and never leaves home without his camera. Paul lives with his wife and family in the seaside town of Bridlington on the east coast of England, and he joins us now. Hello, Paul. Hello to you and hello to Steve. Great to uh, be invited to, you know, just share a few stories. And well, It's good to have you along. I think this is the fifth year in a row now. We enjoy talking together, don't we? It's not just... We do, yeah. We're friends. It's it's not just sort of, oh, God, I've got to do a bit of a radio podcast for Paul. I enjoy coming <laughs> and talking with you guys. So Checks in the post, buddy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think, well, funny enough, you've got a book out and it's uh, your new book. So w- when did it get released? Oh, I would have thought, I, haven't, I don't know exact date, but probably about three months ago. Yeah, and this this is the first time I've had chance to actually speak to you about it. The uh, you, You've been in great uh, demand. Yeah, and I, I have actually cut things back a little bit for no other reason than you just get a little bit saturated with, 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 with radios and podcasts. And it's nice to be in demand, don't get me wrong, but you, you do get a little bit saturated. I think part of my problem, if it is a problem, is I like to give people different bits of information. Okay. So, but you, it's not a never-ending pot of information. So you, fight, you feel like, I feel like I'm repeating sometimes, even though your audience, Paul, uh, probably will be different to another podcast's audience. You know, but it, that's just the way it is. I know there's some researchers and some people who've lived on stories for the last 30 years and they tell their story over and over again. That would absolutely drive me bananas, to be honest with you, but uh, just the way it is. 
No, I totally understand that. And I think, um, is, is that partly what drove, drove you to write the book? Because it's, um, it's very much a, a paranormal story of your life, isn't it? Yeah, and there were never any intention to write Night People when I started writing Truth Proof books. But I'd, all, I'd got these diaries. I, I, had, I had one that were absolutely chocker with information. I call it the Book of the Strange. And every time something happened, I think I'd been putting stuff in it, well, at least from early 2000s. And I, I, I lent it to a good friend, or I showed it to a good friend and left it at his house. He might get to listen to this. I hope he does, because he kept it. And, and, and that uh, you don't hear me badmouth people, so I won't say no names, but they know who they are. And, it, and it, it's, it's really, really annoyed me. And they've had it for about seven or eight years now, and I know they've got it. Uh, I was being very generous, and I'd given them some items of furniture, and I took this with me, and I left it at the side of a chair. Okay. Where are we going with this one? But the Book of the Strange, there was even more information in that to, to, to actually contribute to night people. Than, than what's in Night People. And um, was that um, like a scrapbook that you kept, or was it like a draft, or? Yeah, it, was a, it was a, th a thick scrapbook, yeah. And if anything happened, I wrote it down. Uh, there's not much happening at the moment, uh, but I'll make note of anything that, however insignificant it might seem, and I'd urge everybody to do that, because it, these little anecdotes, these little bits of information may become relevant at, in, even in three weeks' time, in a month's time. But you, it's amazing how quickly you forget about them. When I was writing Night People, and one of, our, one of my daughters, Jessica, started reading it. Uh, she said, Dad, can I have a copy of the book? She said, Dad, she said, I can't believe that you've remembered some of these things. I, she says, I remember them as I'm reading it. I'm thinking, God, my, my dad's remembered all this. But it's not, I don't think it's part of having an incredible memory. It's part of making making notes this is just an envelope but making notes if something happens make notes earlier earlier this week i think it was monday I, I very rarely anything happens in our home now and something made a very large noise in the room the little dog sleeps in hallway he started barking it were in our room and it, and i looked at clock it was 132 i've made a, no, a note of it nothing else not nothing there might be nothing paranormal. Do, do you know what I mean? It could have just been something falling off a shelf. Yeah. But I've made a note of it because if things start to happen, then it's relevant. There's an old phrase that says, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, because people can just make stuff up on the spot. But if, if you've got it down, you can point to it. And certainly it's going to make life easier when it comes to writing books. But equally, it just gives that, you know, just gives that um, extra touch of uh, truthfulness, truth proof, it, it, if you it like. Does. It, it does, Paul, but you know, we're only dealing with it, everybody's, not just myself, when it comes to the subject of the paranormal, just in my opinion, we're only dealing with other people, mine and other people's stories. We, we, we can't actually prove, we can prove very little of this. Yeah. When I'm looking into the, the animal mutilations around eastern North Yorkshire, I know we're going to talk about book, but I'll just stick with this for a moment because you were you were talking about writing it down. I noted that I'd been told this deer had been found in a particular place on Cliff Lane with this huge hole in its side, this circular hole through its side, and I noted the date. and I think I think it was February uh, uh, August twenty eighth, twenty seventeen. I could have got that date wrong because it's just flicked out of my head, but I'd got but I wrote it down when I went and spoke to the farmer about the sh the sheep. Uh, 
mutilations and the strange things that were happening, he'd got a date down in his diary of finding these 30 sheep in the sheep run, uh, the, the old six sheep nose to tail, and he gave me the date. Mm -hmm. It was the 28th of July or whatever date it was, and I immediately just got my book. Because if I'd have took that to him later, he could have thought, well, I bet he's just wrote that down. Yeah, It doesn't prove that any of it, but it's that writing things down and making, getting as much of the detail down as possible just helps in the long run. And I don't think we're saying out that we or I'm saying anything that we don't already know, but I think too many people, myself included, do miss little facts that are important at the time where you just think, oh, I'll just let that go. It were, it were next to nothing or I'll write about it tomorrow. No, write about it as it's happened. When you wake up in the morning, if it's one thirty-two. Get it written down because in four days' time you might think, well, it, well, it two thirty-two. It might not even be relevant, but I think you're absolutely right. Over time, the memory changes, and when when you play things back to yourself, they get affected by other things that happen in your life. And yeah. over, over a period of time, your really good memory of an incident that happened on the day will change into something else, just ever so it, slightly. Thoughts and that that was the problem with night people. That's why there's so many breaks in it and there's not a lot of stories that go from say one to ten you I might have a one two and then i might have a fourth uh, like a, a seven eight and and there's nothing in between because they're only little cameos of memories and it would have been so easy to have lied or maybe not even lied maybe lied's not the word it'd been so easy to fill it in with what i thought might have happened do, do you have any recollection paul of what it was that actually made you start writing things down and journaling yeah i think i started writing it down in 1990s all this stuff had happened during childhood then there was a sort of a, a, a little bit detachment from it happening then then we got some more of it happening uh when me and mary got our first house and then you know and then in 1998 19 sorry 1994 i think when we moved to bridlington it, it were literally it were almost like another page opened and it it started right away and when I'm sat there and I'm, I'm, I've got all these memories, with, but I've not really pieced everything together. I don't, it's hard to explain, but I've got all these memories of these things that had happened. But then when it started in 1994 and you're sort of, I wouldn't say mature, but you've, you've got an adult perspective on it, not a child stroke teenager's perspective. And yes, I can remember, I can remember sat, we'd been for a meal with friends and a Chinese meal and a, a big group of us and it were a warm night and I'd got all these holes in my arm. And like, I'm, I'm, people are saying, how are you done them? Is it contagious? And, and, and I'm saying, I'm lying. I'm saying, I don't know. I, I don't, I just woke up and they were there. And, you know, I, I, I didn't say I'd seen these lights or I'd seen this and, because I, I was I think fear, I think the, the fear of knowing that you're talking about something so personal to yourself, so real, so vivid, only to sit with a group of people who you actually like and just to get laughed at, it's just it's, it's, mm. it's a difficult situation. You, you, you say it's very personal and it is because it's it's about yourself, isn't it? But yeah. how, how do the rest of your family react to this, like Mary and uh, your daughters as well? Well, there's there's... There's probably, there's a lot of stuff happened with Mary, but, but Mary's sort of, she's very, very quiet. And so she doesn't say much. So, but the things that are in the book, she knows exactly. And the things that have happened with the daughters and uh, a few, 
things that have happened with a few of the grandchildren now, uh, they're okay with it. I've, I've not named any names, although I suppose people would be easy enough to trace if they wanted to. But yeah, they're okay with it. I mean, I did speak, uh, I, I, I spoke to Whitley Streber uh, and asked him what he thought when I was going to publish Night People. And he, he just, he asked me, he said, he did say to me, think really hard before you do it, you know, you know, and it were to in and fro in whether to do it or whether not to do it. There were a story in there that I didn't want to put in particularly, but I have done. And, and that seems to be the one people want to talk about. And I don't want to talk about it because it quite honestly frightened me. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just a collection of of memories. I looked on on the reviews for the book. Uh, I don't know last week, and there's there's somebody put a a review on, and they've said that I think I've been abducted by aliens. I, I wouldn't when I say aliens, I don't necessarily believe that they're from space or from from living underground. I don't know where they're from, but there's been some interaction. But the, the, the reviewer, and he's, he's entitled to his opinion, and, and I fully respect it, but the reviewer were implying that I've, I've imagined it all, I think. But I mean, and it, it's typical sleep paralysis, I think that's what it said in the, the review. I think to myself, it can't leave scars on your body. No, absolutely. Mm. I, I've had sleep paralysis. I, I had it for about six months, um, about five years ago. And um, it's completely different. It, 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 to me, it just doesn't, um, it, it doesn't overlap with this at all. It was a, a very strange thing. I knew where I was and I knew what was going on. But uh, you know, Some, sometimes this, the skeptic's answer to a lot of this is even more balmy than what the person he believes is putting forward it's a bit like a certain ufo case where a skeptic has effectively said there are walking lighthouses <laughs> you know it's it's, it's ridiculous a... i know i know who you're on about and i mean the guy i think the guy's a really intelligent man mm. with that and i find it i find it difficult when i know he's done the, the the, the research, and we, know, we all know what case this is about, but I know he's done the research. However, the guys who were there, feet on ground, who are shouting, this was not a lighthouse. We know the difference, and that could have been replicated any day of the week, any time of the year, or we might have to wait six months till we've got those weather conditions again. But Precisely. There, you weren't there. It wasn't a lighthouse. And, and still... They, they, they scream that well, we've explained it. I've, I've, this is my theory and this is what I believe. Now, full respect to the guy for, for his credentials and everything, because um, I'm not into knocking people, but I happen to believe that we, we, we need to place a little bit of faith in the first-hand witnesses, unless they're all completely cuckoo. But in that particular case, we've got a, a lot of military personnel in, in that forest, over a over a, pe a period of nights, not night, claiming that they'd seen and experienced and it wasn't a lighthouse, then I think we we need to really think to ourselves, no, it wasn't. But why why does that voice get heard? Why does the skeptic's voice get heard? Because mm. he's coming out with something that's that's rational, that that is plausible, however implausible it might seem, because we've got actual witnesses saying, no way, this wasn't it. But it's I think. I think we're finding now that even outlets like Fox News are becoming, it's becoming part of the, the mainstream. 
And if Fox News have got it on, you think, and they're not, um, they're not doing it from a sarcastic way or from a, a comedic way. They're actually being very, 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 very serious about all this. Yeah, yeah. It makes you wonder what's what's changed. What, what well, are we, where are we going with this? I, I was watching a video on YouTube earlier. It was Tucker Carlson on Fox News from yesterday, I think it was, and he was reporting um, a USO triangle, which um, which was obviously. Um, something that was coming up at the time they had an english guy on there doing some talking head work around it and i didn't recognize him but uh, you know they were both speaking sense and it's becoming more and more mainstream but i'd like to run this point past you paul just to see what you think um as, as you know i'm, I'm xraf yeah. um and charles holt you know he was a deputy base commander of a fighter base um, or a bomber base um they know the lay of the land outside their walls. They exactly. know what is around um, because exactly. they have to defend their base when it all comes on top. So they know where things are. Uh, and it just, it just beggars belief, really. Well, well I can't remember the, the, the British base that's close to it. I, I, told, I told Charles Holt, uh, I think I told John Hansen, uh, when, when he came through to do the conference at uh, OLM in Hull, uh, I were hoping to line him up with this guy who doesn't live far from me, who was on the British base during the incident. And, uh, I wish I could remember the name of it, but he... Was it uh, Honington? No. No? Okay. No. Uh, I, I'm, it'll come to me after this, because I didn't expect we'd be talking about this, but my point is, I spoke to him face to face, and... He told me that American cars came up after the incident. They were blue and white cars. Men in suits got out of the cars and took their radar tapes because they tracked objects on mm. the banks. Yeah. So, you, you know, I mean, that's, that weren't a lighthouse. So, so, so uh, you, you are, you're right there, Steve. But, you know, and, and as Paula said earlier you know that when they've got these people out in the forest there'll have been powers higher than them uh, sort of i don't know scrutinizing what these men were actually looking for and what these men were actually seeing and you would have thought somebody would have said come on everybody get back in it's a lighthouse you're all mistaken no but that didn't happen did it you know and <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it's been cooked and cooked and cooked. The story. I think it's incredible. I think it's an incredible uh, UFO-related event. But uh, can it be done anymore? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, in the same way that you can tell yourself a lie time and time again and it becomes true to you, I, I think the skeptics can tell the opposite of the lie and mm. debunk, debunk, debunk until it becomes their truth. Well, well you see, the skeptics, not regardless of regardless of what case it might be, are in the, always have, in my opinion, the upper hand, because they've, they're appealing to the, the public, to the, to the populace. And the vast majority of people who might not have had an experience are going to fall with the plausible answer. Mm -hmm. you, know, it's, you know, a lot of people, as you know, Steve, it's like, well, I don't believe it unless I've seen it myself. Uh, well, if I see it, then I'll believe it. So if a, if a skeptical-minded person comes out with an explanation for what I've seen or what somebody sees a trawler man might have seen or a lifeboat man out at Bridlington or, or in Scarborough or someone at Rendlesham, 
and that's thrown out to the public at large. The public at large, you're always going to go with, well, yeah, I think that, I think this guy's right. It is a plausible answer. That's what we'll go with. I think there's a difference between a sceptical mind and a denying mind. Yeah. Because there will be people who will just go, no. And you'll tell them and you'll show the information, you'll show the, the data and the research. No, not interested. We're not going any further with this. You're wrong. It was, it was, a, it was a walking lighthouse. <laughs> you know, it's that sort of mentality that you're dealing with. I've and, actually spoke to people who've had s incredible sightings who, who don't want to talk about it because it's clashed with what they believe. Precisely. You know, and then yeah. just close down, which is, is wrong. But that's, that's, that's the way of people, isn't it? You know what I mean? I'd like to think that you're not so blinkered that you believe everything that I would say, or that anyone would say to be the gospel truth. I mean, we, we like to think we're telling truth, but you know, you've got some people that will just absolutely believe anything and like yeah. into the sky and see two satellites. And that, that that's it's some kind of message from Ashtar command or something. Do you know what I mean? And it's no, it's not, it's satellites, but you know, but, but there, the, the, there's genuine things being seen. There's genuine things being experienced. What we're looking into in with dark forest, I've said it this before, but never thought I would be one little bit interested in the cryptids. I didn't, that just weren't my subject. But I've had so many people come to me, you know, rational people. I mean, one of them's a professor. Yeah. He's, he's, he's seen something incredible with his wife. And, you know, it's not sort of shattered his worldview of things, but... You, then you've got uh, different, you've, I don't know, you've got motor mechanics and you've got all people from all walks of life claiming to have seen this upright fur-covered creature uh, in a, once again, location, in a close locality within the forests of eastern North Yorkshire. North Yorkshire primarily, that's where I've been today. I've spent all day there, just getting some cutaways and some little shots. Three of the guys came from Rotherham, so they travelled over 100 miles to meet us. They've been a couple of times straight from work on one occasion, to show us where they saw it, where they experienced it. What they got to gain by telling us these stories? One's a gamekeeper. They've gone on camera. They've put their faces on camera. I'd, I'd call them excellent first-class witnesses, very genuine people. And they're telling me that they've seen something. They don't know each other, and they're, they're actually describing something. I wouldn't say identical, because that would be wrong, but very similar to what the other parties, one's from 2002, one's from 2018, one's from 2016, one's from January this year uh, on the clifftops at Flamborough, one's from February the 19th, 2019 on the clifftops at Flamborough, one's from November the 12th, uh, 2019 from the clifftops at Speeton. So this location thing just smacks you in the face time and time again yeah. what's special about the location steve i don't know uh could these things be living and breathing uh, they're obviously they're, there's, there's obviously something physical to them because the, the guys in the forest in north yorkshire being evasive about the actual forest because there's a lot of forests and and i've done a lot of research that that i think people will enjoy when it comes out that that ties in with what we're looking at and it's a, it's a very odd place. I've got a cousin who lives um, in a village called Water, oh, which yeah. is just a few miles east of Pocklington. So yeah. you've got York, Pocklington and Water's there. And I, if I go there, I'll go via Ghoul and, and yeah. go, up, go up that way. And when you get closer and closer to Water, it becomes very, very much more remote. Yeah. 
the forest just seemed to come into you. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're sort of driving down a road that's a standard A road. And it's heavily treed. I'd... And it's heavily treed. And, and the shadows as well that come out to you, if the sun's in the right direction. You do feel quite... It's oppressive. I'm to find the word. It's a, that's right. It's an oppression. It's a real oppressive environment. You know, we've been there today, and I, I, what I touched on that are they flesh and blood? The, the rod, I'll not go into each story in depth because I know that Paul might want to talk about other things. But the Rotherham guys were trapped in the forest with this thing looking at them all night. It, <sighs> From after 12 o'clock, it was stood looking at them. They could see its full profile and they could hear it breathing. It That's was until it's breathing. They thought it were a growl, but it weren't. It was breathing. So there's some, something physical to these things. But then you've got the woo. You've got the sort of exotic science, if you were like. And the gamekeepers, when he, when he watched him through the window of an abandoned farmhouse, when he was sleeping in it, he observed it then a few nights later because he stayed outside because he, he, he wanted to see what it was. And he said it came out of the forest and arrived at the window. He saw no movement in its legs. It was almost as though it were on a track. It arrived. You, you, you hear so many accounts of these cryptids where they're not making a sound. And then you've got other accounts where they're creating ultimate fear by crashing them and smashing it's almost as though they can switch in and out. They're like ghosts because the forest we've been in today, we've been at Howard Dale. And you literally, you'd have, to, you'd have to be on all fours to run through it. It's absolutely dense and dark. And you think to yourself, if, if, if a man would have trouble manoeuvring in this, what the, are the chances of a seven to eight foot creature with huge shoulders getting maneuvering and hiding itself there's so many things that clash and contradict each other but i think we need to establish re-establish another type of real we've got to know what is the real because i don't think the real i just don't know what they are <laughs> that's probably too um, guys i am sorry no 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 not at all uh, reality is different for each person and yeah. uh, so, I mean, if you think back to, well, on the subject of cryptid sightings, if you think back to August the 16th, and uh, I, I was very lucky to have a black cat sighting yeah, that evening. And uh, the first person I rang, and it, it was still within sight, I phoned you. You did. And, uh, you know, you were very supportive and helpful. And you said, look, get off the phone to me, get more video. Yeah. <laughs> you know, was... and, and, and what did you think, Paul? I mean, let's just switch it for a minute. What did you think when you were actually looking at this thing? I felt um, odd. I, I felt very odd because it's, um, it was almost like watching a plane crash. It, it shouldn't be there. Yeah. And um, so I, afterwards, I think um, I felt very honoured and very protective as well. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was having this conversation with Rick Minter, who does the big cats conversations podcast. And, um, it, it leaves a real imprint on you when you see something like that. Yeah. So, you know, the guys up, up in the forest there who had, uh, this cryptid come out and see them, it's going to imprint upon them in a big way. But, but you as a researcher, Paul, how, how do you sort the wheat from the chaff? How much of it is gut instinct about whether somebody's telling you the truth? How much of it is research? It, it's difficult. A, a few, a, about two weeks ago, a guy wanted to speak to me about his experiences with a, 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 an alleged cryptid. Uh, 
talking something like a, a werewolf type creature, dogman type creature, as they like to call them. And he, then he started sending me photographs with circles on them of wood, dark areas where he perceived this thing was. And to, to me, it was just woodland where, um, is it pareidolia where we were imagining we were seeing things. Then a few years ago, there were a lady who lived, can't remember the exact place, but she's claimed it had been on her roof. This thing had climbed onto the roof. Wow. And uh, uh, saying that it weighed three to 400 pounds. Now, when I Googled the place, there were clay pan tiles. Now, being a builder, former builder, join a betrayed, you've got to be very careful on clay, just ordinary clay pan tiles. It weren't a particularly old house. And it's, we've had a three to 400 pound dogman stroke werewolf on, a clay, on clay pan tiles. It would have ended up in the bedroom with her. It, it, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Perish the thought. It, it would, it could, them, them tiles would not have supported, she could hear it walking about on the roof. It would have gone through the roof. So how do you, su support, how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? Probably by listening to stories like that, but I'm not rude to these people. I just, I don't really get involved in that kind of story. But when these, when these Rotherham guys contacted me and get, told me that they'd been in this forest fishing, because uh, we don't, we're on right again, the Derwent, the River Derwent, and they'd been in this, where's the Forge Valley? And he broke down crying on the phone and they wanted to meet us after, build, after building up a bit of confidence and trust. We, we, we got to meet them, myself, Les Drake, Digital Creations and Chris Wright. And we went into the forest and you see how frightened they were because it's the first time they'd been back. You, you, you realise, and then as I say, the gamekeeper, and he's coming out with all these credible stories and he hasn't got, he hasn't got a book full of mystical, wonderful stories. He's got this sighting, he's got this experience of laying in an abandoned farmhouse. Uh, camp sleeping in it overnight and this thing coming to the window and looking at him. But there's the, there's, there's the paranormal aspect that I find incredible that accompanies it. A, a few days before he saw this, he took his cousin. His cousin was spending a few days with him as he was gamekeeping. And as they're walking back, he's an ex-Marine. Ex, uh, and as they're walking back, that'll have relevance in a moment. As they're walking back to the farmhouse, a sphere of light just shot up from the side of his leg and, and he, he immediately grabbed his cousin and dropped him to the floor because he thought he'd knocked a tripwire flare and he expected it to light up above him and squaddies to come running out at any moment because we're, very, we're only five or six miles from Filingdales where, where, this, where some of this stuff's happening. So there's military presence at times in, in the forest. Nothing happened, no sound of the flare, uh, uh, sort of coming up from the floor, no sound in the in the sky, and and then after that, they're hearing the craziest things. They're hearing a baby, him and another gamekeeper, in a baby crying in the forest, uh, which is reported with Bigfoot type uh, re incidents and things. It but is, yeah. It says we, every time we went to where we perceived it was, it stopped and went a little bit deeper into the forest. And so this carried on. And then I don't know if you, I don't, I don't know the time span. He doesn't now. It was 2002. But this thing comes to the window. He wakes up in the night feeling strange. Another thing that's reported with these things, people perceive it before they see it and experience it. 
and it stood at the window just looking down at him. He didn't know if it could see him. He believes it probably could. He didn't see gnashing teeth. He didn't see glowing eyes. He saw a shape that filled the window with his neck as fat as its head, and it's taller than the window looking down. We've been back to this farm. We've filmed him outside it, talking about it. It's, it you can see I'm animated. I'm, I've really enjoyed these witnesses because they're just first class for me. Well, in the book, um, one of the things I was um, saying to Paul about, um, I looked at the, the, um, the years and everything. It's a very, very famous UFO photograph from uh, Coningsboro, 1966. It's a Stephen Pratt yeah. UFO photograph. And Coningsboro, I mean, you ended up moving there um, <laughs> at, at one stage. And um, I just wonder, have you ever thought of any links to what you um, went through? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that was 19, was it 1966? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and uh, it, it, it's, it's around the same time. It is. Do, do you know that this stuff was happening? And since writing Night People, I've had a few people, I, I wouldn't say from old Denneby, but from, from around Rotherham and Mexborough, that have contacted me and said they'd had experiences around the same time. Uh, so, so it does make it does make you think, you know. And there were, I think, there were UFO sightings along what's called Cunningsborough Crags as well. Yes. Time, you yeah. know, I had the, the. I think the first one for me, which I put in the book, was again Mexborough Power Station, the cooling towers of Mexborough Power Station, and my dad woke me up to see the sphere of light. Yeah. So to midpoint, halfway up the cooling towers, and then to my eyes, it looked like it travelled along the rooftops of Mexborough. I can see it now. 58 year old, I don't know how old I was, I was a little boy, I, you know, I, I think that's the earliest, earliest memory that, that, that I've got, age four or five years old. Uh, I know some people can probably go back far, further with memories, but I, I can't, but I can actually remember, pressed up to the window, watching it disappear towards Swinton, you know, because you've got Mexborough, I don't know if you know yeah. the location, yes. of course yeah. you do, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it, it, it disappeared, and it took ages, and for some reason, Excuse me, my dad left me midway, which were odd because he'd never, I, I can't even recall any other time that he's woke me up to look at anything or, do you know, he's, he's quite a quite a strict guy, that's all I could say for him. <laughs> do you, know do you I mean? think Do you think maybe he'd seen something like that before, but this is the first opportunity he had to, if he, you like, initiate yourself into um, into this sort of sighting? He, 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 he's possible, isn't it? You know, it is possible. We, we, he was so detached from, I don't know, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. And I, I know we're, we're doing a podcast about the unexplained and things, but he, he was a difficult man to talk to. Mm. In all the time that I knew him, and it's my dad, I never heard him say, I love you. No. Four girls, I tell them every time I see them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's 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 strange. You were you were a very very, you were cold when it came to anything like that. So so it's difficult because you couldn't get inside his mind to find out. It, I think it might be two thousand and six that he told me not long before he passed away that the, his words were. Oh, my mum told me that he said the aliens had been to visit him, and then I went and spoke to him in hospital, and he, that's what he said. He told me, and he wow. said they were here. Grief. So, and uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I wish you'd have told me something like that a lot sooner, but he didn't. And that, that's the only bit I've got, you know. So did you? I, 
Oh, sorry. I think they only got from my my, my late grandfather because he was a, a radar operator in um, during the, well, not just during World War Two, but afterwards as well. He didn't he didn't come out of the of the RAF until the late sixties. Okay. And he used to tell me that when looking at radar, he would regularly see objects appear and then literally go up 180 degrees as fast as possible. There's nothing that can, that can do this. And he kept on reminding me, radar only picks things up that are there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not imaginary. This stuff. It, no, there. It's there. And he, and he's, he never said what he did, but he always looked quite uncomfortable. He would never go any further than saying, it's, it's such a difficult one. There's, there's gonna, there's gonna, obviously, there's gonna be military personnel that that take the knowledge that we crave, the proof that we give to the grave, mm. and 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 it's it's so sad. You know, there's tons of things sat in my head. It's like my head's like a can of marbles just rattling about, and I forget half of it. But, <laughs> uh, I will, I will. The book one, Truth Proof, I wrote about the alleged satanic cult that were operating in the area of eastern North Yorkshire. Book two, we touched on it a bit more. Book three, I realised it was real. It was real. I don't mean it's responsible for A, B, C, D of anything. I, I'm mm. just, I'm not going to link it to other things, but I know it were real. I, I just want these bits of information. They don't prove a great deal, but the the sceptics within the area who say what a load of rubbish you're talking about i can say hold on a minute well, look at this do you know do you know what i mean it's yeah it's so difficult i mean we i think we deal with it all day we, we, we are the dream scenario for a for a skeptic or, or a debunker should we say because because we can't prove anything that we're saying you know it's, it, it, the, the the actual proof is imprinted in steve's mind it's imprinted in paul's mind yeah and this paul and i can't pull it out to show anybody and and so we've just got to we've just got to put us faith in top quality witnesses and just gather as much evidence as we can and just hope that people are going to take us seriously it's, it's a hard one isn't it you know it is I, I get the impression there's not enough hours in the day paul there, there isn't today today paul i've been i've been to forest in north yorkshire all covid safe by the way we've been doing filming for the documentary uh, two people, separate cars. We've been we've been out there. Need to stress that. Uh, I've come home, had a bike to eat, jumped in shower. We're doing this now, and then tonight, I'm off to the cliff tops at Bempton because, amazingly, it's happening. We've we've waited probably me and myself and Bob Brown. He's not been coming out with me uh, for the last month because of COVID because he works in a charity shop. Bob's your neighbour, is that right? He lives in uh, uh, the top flat in this same property that I converted to flats years ago. Okay. And, uh, so even though he's in a flat, they're all self-contained. So we don't, my wife's very keen with his COVID. <laughs> well, regardless of what people want to believe, whether, whether it's as worse than you think, than, than I think, or not as bad, she takes it seriously. So that's good enough for me. Yeah. So, uh, we, but we've been over six months on them cliff tops, hoping to see the light form phenomena. Monday night, an amateur photographer, I think it was Monday, it was the 14th, so whatever date the 14th was, guys, and uh, he went to Flamborough from Leeds, and he's taking photographs with a 30-second time lapse. And anybody that wants to go onto our website, truthproof.uk, and that's where the books will be sold for the bulk of them now. If you want to go onto the website, Don Lodge has been building this website for me, made a brilliant job. 
but we've got the photograph. The guy's been kind enough to let us put this photograph on. And, and Paul, Steve, it's an amazing photo. He's took one photograph with, in this 30-second time-lapse, gathering as much light, I should imagine, to take this incredible photograph of North Landing and the sea. And whilst he's taking the photograph, one orange light appears over the sea. Then another. Then another. And he gets them and manages to get the photograph. Because this guy... Is a bit of a is a professional. He also teaches photography and stuff. He's been able to educate me, who knows nothing about photography really, and and he's telling me, look, this thing or these things were pretty much stationary because there would have been motion blur. The stars are all crisp and where they should be. There's no movement. He said, precisely, on a tripod taken with a remote. So we've got an incredible picture off from this guy. I went up the following night. Uh, with the Sony camcorder, I managed to film them three times. So I got them. Uh, it, so it's happening. They, they're not coming up from ships. They're not flares. They're not getting dropped from aircraft. There, there were people, so we're in Bridlington, there were people in Hornsey seeing them and there were people in Scarborough seeing them. Uh, what the photographer from Leeds noted when he took this incredible photograph was that dogs were barking all over the place. Okay. Wow. But now what I noted, and I was up there with a guy called Mick Ganley, who's an interesting guy, Paul. You might want him on your show at some point. Uh, and I, I'm trying to film these things, so I'd not, when I say I'd noted it, I need to give Mick the credit. Mick said, listen to goals. The goals were going crazy. You, you know, squawking and screeching. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting. So the, so the phenomenon is unfolding. So you're just saying there's not enough hours in the day, Paul. You're correct, because where am I going at in between half seven and quarter to eight? <clears throat> I'm heading back up there. Back out again. On film. I, I'm, I'm very glad I pointed you in the direction of that photograph, Paul. I really am. Yes, because... absolutely. It was a good, it was a good spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you were the only person I thought of when I saw it. And it is worth people looking at yeah. because it is... Now, now I'm embarrassed you know, because... It... <laughs> no, it's all right. You're the man. You're the man. You're the only well, man I thought would... would well, would the, the, the guy has been very, very generous and, and allowed us to use the photograph. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we, we, we got to see the photo. Well, you've seen it. What do you think? It's, it's incredible because the detail on that photograph... Um, it would be like, I, I don't know, taking a, a very, very detailed shot of the, the, the Thames and, and London landmarks. And then right at the back in the sky, there's like the Starship Enterprise. Mm, it's, it's, it's one of those sort of photographs. You just think it's completely incongruous, but it's there. It's detailed. And you're quite right. A 30 second um, exposure. If they were moving, the picture would be spoiled. Yeah. But they're not moving. They are static. Yeah, and, and he said that one came on. He thought, "Oh, that's odd. What's that? That's strange." And then another one, and then another. So we'd got the we'd got the three, the, the three light forms, and the colour that he's captured in the photograph is the colour that we're actually seeing when we're looking at these objects or whatever they are. I'm I'm, I'm tempted to say objects because there's an ex-Ministry of Defence contractor who will uh, be writing about him in next book. He's called. John Pink, that's his real name. That's not an insult to John either, by the way, but, you know, that's, uh, he's allowing me to use his real name. And he, uh, I can't remember the date, but he saw Spheres whilst working on a MOD contract in, a, in the house that he, he was renting over the sea. I'll not say where, 
but he saw the spheres of light, but he observed them from our, with high-powered binoculars and noted pyramids inside them, which is interesting, isn't it, you know? So it makes you wonder, is there anything structured within this light, or are they something, are they intelligent light forms? Is it intelligent light? Mm. When Chris Turner came to the clifftops with us and his friend Jerry Denning, the lighting and sound engineer, he, he were able to measuring is it calvin or kelvin the actual intensity of the light he were quite surprised another thing that i need to note as well because i've now got a thermal camera quite a good one when i put the thermal camera on the spheres of light over the sea that i saw the other day they're not you can't see them they're not wow. signature. so you can you can you, obviously you can't see the the stars you can't see anything. Anything that's cold, you're not going to see it. It'll pick up a heat source. I, and I'm, I'm glad I did because I'm thinking, well, if people are going to say afterburners, you, you know, you, you know well, we're going to see them. They're going to be glowing hot in the sky. I couldn't see anything. You can see the, the ships on the horizon and the heat points on, on, on the boats, you know, various places. But these things, there were nothing. Do, do you see any similarities, Paul, in the, in the lights at Hestarlan and the Brown Mountain lights? Do, do, do they link up for you or do you think perhaps that I, they're I just a totally different phenomenon? No, I think it might be uh, same or very similar phenomena. And, uh, you know, the, the light phenomena, I think it gets used for, uh, we'll jump to that in a moment, but it gets used for a lot of things. We go to Dane's Dyke, which isn't far away, and they talk about the ghost, the white lady. People I've spoken to said, oh, well, I've seen the white lady. But when you get speaking to them, they've seen a white sphere of light. Mm. They've not seen a structured lady in a white dress floating around Dane's Dyke. There's a, the, uh, up at Bempton, the, the fishermen, the, the rock anglers, talk about the ghost of big railings because they'll walk down and they'll see something about the size of a headlamp, you know, what the, the, the anglers wear, yeah. or not near the railings. And they walk down to it and it disappears and there's no one there. They've seen it from the car park walking down. Not just one guy, there's a quite a lot of them. But they're, not, they're perceiving it as a, a rock angler and they call it the ghost of big railings. But it's a sphere of light. Do you know? It's, quite, it's totally bizarre, isn't it? I, what I just, did you say prior to that, Paul? You, and I jumped from it, didn't I? What, um, what, in, in regards to Hestalen, you mean? Or, yes, um, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, you know, I spoke to Philip Mantle. Uh, I, I was quite at length about it. He's got a friend at, who was heavily involved in the, the Hestal and in the project. I think he was one of the lead guys in it. And he always believed, like me, that there was some intelligence attached to these lights. Philip doesn't. I'm quite happy to, to accept Philip's explanations, providing he's not going to jump all over mine. He thinks, he thinks that they're earth lights. And, but I, I, from my from my own point of view, what the, the thing we're dealing with here, when I took a, a rock angler up to get his account of what he perceived as a spaceship landing on the cliff tops uh, at the back of us at Bempton, and I asked him if he'd seen the spheres of light, how Bob Brown was with us, and he said he'd never seen them and he'd fished the cliff tops 50 years. It was literally within five to ten minutes that two appeared over his heads. He saw them, mm -hmm. Bob, and we all saw them. We got the camera out, they switched off. To me, there's an awareness to of some kind to what to what we're looking at and and it's interacting with our consciousness there's another rock angler observed a a, a particularly bright star out up in the heavens over the sea that he's not familiar with because he's thinking 
well, you know, I fished here many times and I don't know what that star is, but one, he made the connection and instantly it were over his head. Mm. Obviously he knows it weren't a star. He said, and it lit the ground up like a welder's torch. He says the grass looked silver. And as fast as it arrived, it had gone. There's an intermind connection, uh, just like with the cryptids, that the people perceive and feel this strangeness before the strangeness is actually visually seen. You know, uh, can we say visually seen? It sounds a bit silly, that, doesn't it? But <laughs> I, th I think we can go with that. That's fine. <laughs> and, uh, See, it's, it's interesting because there's the, the, the old story of spring Jack from yep. Victorian days. And indeed, I think Springhill Jack came from sightings straight from London all the way up to, to Lincolnshire and beyond to Liverpool as well. And if you look at some of those reports about him or about it, there's an awful lot of cryptid stuff going on there. And yeah. what, they, what they thought might have been a top hat may have been just an elongated head yeah. that a cryptid mm. might, may have. It's oh. just... That experience and that knowledge that people have, they will they will put it in terms that they understand and hope yeah, other we, people understand. Fitting it well. into, yeah, we were fitting it into a into a into a box that we. It's a cultural box. It's a cultural box of what they know. Yeah, and that is why that is why going back to the debunkers and the skeptics, they they're in the, the the prime position all of the time, in my opinion, because when they cough forward their explanation for something. It, it, if it's plausible, then the general population, the populace who haven't experienced, some of them haven't experienced anything, will think, yeah, well, that's what it were. I believe it when I see it. What's he on about? They've seen something like a werewolf in a forest. Do you know what I mean? The, the, their eyes are playing tricks on them. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 a, it's always going to be a difficult one, and we're never going to please everybody, are we? You know, it's, I think, we've just got to, Steve, we've just got to remain true to ourselves. Precisely. And, and, I, my role, I think, is to to give the witness <clears throat> as much ammunition as I possibly can find. So if there's a UFO sighting, I'll look to find out anything else unusual that's happened to pack around that sighting. I won't make it up. I'll 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 look for the information, and and if I can find it, I say, yeah, you can. You, you know, you. We've, Okay, so you don't believe that this guy's seen multiple spheres of light over the sea at Bempton, but look what else happened that week, and look what else happened three weeks before. We're just sort of rolling here with things, but there's no actual scenario there, as you know. But it's just a matter of just being as being as intense with and as true as you can to the witness's story, and and well, just doing doing it justice, doing doing what somebody's told you justice, and not just putting it down in a sightings report on a website and thinking I've done my job. It's got to be nice for the, 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 when the witness contacts you, Paul, and you actually turn around to them and say, do you know what? I actually believe you. Um, yeah. Does that come as quite a relief to some people? Oh, very much so. Yeah. And, and since writing night people, and I thought we were going to talk about this tonight, Paul, weren't we really? I, I think we might get round to it. Night <laughs> <laughs> people, uh, I've had lots of people say, what you've written about and what I heard you speaking about happened to me. And I'm yeah. so relieved that somebody's spoke about it. You know, I know I'm not breaking new ground here. I know these stories have been told on a similar, on similar lines by other people. So I just think it's good. I think we've just got to get the information out there. I think that's fair enough. Let's talk about the book. 
Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> because I, I, I think we could talk all night. I mean, uh, you know, I, my mind was going off on uh, all sorts of wild uh, uh, travails with uh, Spring Hill Jack there, who, uh, who had left tracks across a uh, snowy roof. And the, rooftop, yeah, 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 and and that when you were talking about the uh, clay tiles, I started thinking about that. So that's exactly uh, what I. That's exactly how I started because yeah. Spring Hill Jack, he, there'd be no weight, so effectively he would be able to yeah. walk across and like a ballet dancer. Effectively, my uh, my good friends Forrest and Scott, who run the Astonishing Legends podcast, they say that everything is connected, and I think they're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Let's um, let's talk about the book, Paul. Um, if uh, can I just hit you up for a couple of stories from the book yeah, and uh, see how we go? Because we're uh, where are we? We're nearly an hour in already. So, um, so some of the things that stood out from the book for me: uh, the story of the Reverend Tom Willis. Would you uh, give that us a little? That, yeah, that was nineteen ninety four, as I, be- uh, I think that's the, the year we moved in, and. Uh, We'd been clearing the house. We bought the house fully furnished. We, we found it odd. We'll get to Tom Willis in a moment, but we found it odd that there were pictures on sideboards, cutlery on draining boards, even pots and pans, uh, chamber pots under beds, because it's a big old Victorian house. So we cleared all this. We're clearing everything. But we found bags and bags of letters. And I don't just mean like two or three bin liners, or bags of them. And, and we, my, my, my dad were outside with a 45-gallon oil drum and we're just burning stuff. And uh, we didn't have lots of money, so we, we didn't get tons of skips. And burning out that had burned, we burnt. We wouldn't get away with it today, would we? But uh, we did. So we're burning all these letters. And, but at one point, we stopped and sort of had a look at what they were. And there were lots of different writing <clears throat> on, on each let in each letter so italic writing and then sort of writing that weren't very good you know a bit sort of looked like a seven-year-old had done it and then half decent writing and it were all different things all paragraphs of different cameos of different events or situations and we 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 deciphered that it was spirit writing it were all people had been that we we found out from neighbors then that the, the couple that had owned it had been having seances and, and sort of trying to make contact with the dead. So these, these letters had been re- written, is it automatic writing? I mean, I've never done yes. anything like that. Is that what they call it? So we, I don't know. So anyway, it weren't very long into moving into the house because I'd been working on it for a few weeks before we even moved in to get hot water on and things like that. There's a knock on the door. The girls, our girls are little at the time. I think Sarah probably been about eight or nine. Might have been a bit older. But anyway, no, she weren't. But, and I'm rambling, guys. I do it all the time. Sorry? I'm, talk, I'm having a conversation with myself, aren't I? So, um, the comforts of madness. That's what it is. So, <laughs> so, so, I'm sorry. So, there's a knock on the door. I've finished work I'm, and, and uh, I go to the door. And there's this guy at the door, Reverend Tom Willis, explained who he was and said he'd been and blessed the house once before. Well, I said, well, why are you here? He says, well, I'd like to bless the house. I'd heard that there's new families moving. Could I? Could I? And so I let him in. And he followed us upstairs and he's got a, he's got some, a bottle of water, as I remember, and, but he's, he's walking upstairs and sort of looking at all the things, which is a huge staircase that sort of weaves round and round 
up, up three floors to the top and the, when we stripped all the wallpaper off, don't know what the significance here is, but there were little copper gargoyles every sort of three foot all the way around and we haven't got one. My, my, my wife comments on that, annoyed why, why we threw them away. I don't know what they were, they look hideous. Uh, but anyway, we're, uh, you get to the top of the house and he said, I wouldn't let your daughter sleep in this room. And he sort of opens the door. This is the room where in night people, the neighbours over the road had seen the spheres of light whilst they were sat in there. Well, the, the guy sat in his front room during the night and he's observing the spheres of light in the top of our house. And he, he, he described it as will-o'-the-wisp. He said, because it just dropped through the floor and it were into another room. Wow. And do you know what I'm saying? These, the, apart from that top bedroom, the, the other ones are sort of front rooms, if you know what I mean. So... I looked round and Sarah stood at back of me. It was Sarah's room. So she's, when the, the, the Tom Willis has just said this. Now it weren't his fault. I should have noted it as well. And I weren't over, rude to the guy, but I said, I, I said, she's frightened to death. I think you better leave. And uh, looking back on it now, it was as much my fault as his. We should have noted it, but I weren't expecting him to come out with anything like that. So I asked him to leave. And on reflection, I wish I'd have found out more. I wish I'd have known what, he'd experienced or what he'd been told had happened in the property because he was known at one time as Britain's official exorcist. And there's been TV documentaries made of him, made about him. Uh, I would have thought in the 1990s, I think you are resident at Trinity church in Bridlington. There's something that I, I'm interested in for, for a writing, for a little writing project to find out, if if he's, if there's a paper trail of places he's been and experiences that he's, he's had, I mean it might be there uh, at, at some point, and I will I will look in, into that. So yeah, that was the the Reverend Tom Willis episode that if if you want to call it that, Paul. It's odd, isn't it, that um, a guy who got a name for being an exorcist or similar um, would suddenly turn up? Yeah, and uh, you know. Of all the houses that he could go to, mm. um, it's just it's just utterly bizarre. High strangeness, you call it. Yeah. Um, let's take <laughs> a look at, um, it's a little favourite of mine, actually, from the book, The Blacksmith's Workshop. That was, that was on Church Street. I was born on Church Street, literally. Width of a road. There's the sandstone building, the blacksmith's workshop on, on the right, and there's Quarry Street that goes up to Mexborough. I know I overdo a picture, guys, but and there's church, these little cottages of Church Street on the other side of the road. I was born in the bottom one. Uh, I've got to say, the goose pimples have started already, because yeah, I've, I've, read, I've read this, and this is, yeah, well, this is horrifying. There's a stone staircase in the, in the house. I just need a description of the house, even though I don't know if I've done that in book, but the stone staircase... Uh, outside toilet. I've got no memories of it because I was born in that house and then we moved a short time later to Old Denneby where my dad had been brought up as, well, all his, all his life to, to a young adult until joining RAF. But this particular day, we lived in Old Denneby at the time. We used to walk across, uh, down past the YB pond, over the River Don Bridge, over the canal, up Ferryboat Lane and onto Church Street. Now, as we're walking on Church Street, I, I hated it. I was dragging my feet. I, I carried shopping with my mum. I couldn't stand it. You know, two buses a day into Old Denneby. And my mum and dad didn't have a lot of money. So seriously, it was cheaper to walk. And that's what we did. 
and I think it was Hillard Supermarket. And where, but there's these stones jutting jutting out at the from the disused blacksmith's shop. I said in the book, I think they were used for Farrier to just help him work and things. And it's been shut up for a, quite a long time. It used to be belong to a guy called Charlie Shaw. Spoke to the Shaw family, so I got the dates of, you know, and I'm right when it was shut up and everything. I spoke to them whilst I was writing Night People. So, this particular day, I'm dragging my feet, and I, but it was a great adventure to jump on these stones. And it was boarded up, and it, it had lots and lots of panes of glass in the front window. And I don't know if anybody realises that blacksmith shops did have lots of panes because there was a, the potential for uh, little bit shards of steel and stuff to go through windows. If it were one big pane, you'd be per, per, replacing loads all the time. Well, a bit of the ply boarding that were pre, covering the disused blacksmith shop was ripped away at the bottom. And I looked in it. And as I look in it, and this is the craziest thing, and I could see a green leather sofa. Same as what were in my nans at Cunnisborough. Dark green, like British racing green, leather. It's a real old-fashioned thing. And a kiln that's glowing. It's on. It's, it's on. That's a daft word, isn't it? It's on. It's all glowing, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's stoked up. But there's an old lady, and she's, she's not at the window at this time, but I can see her, and she's, she's dressed in sort of a dull grey-white colour, and she's got a bun in her hair. I imagine she had a pin in it, but I've, I've not, I don't think I've... I've got a proper memory of that and little wiring glasses and I remember them. And, <coughs> excuse me, shouting my mum to come. Quick, come and look at this, can't believe it. Where's that effect? A little boy, aren't I? I don't know what I'm saying exactly, but I'm shouting her to come and I'm looking through this window. And this old lady turns and comes to the window and we're that far apart and she's looking at me and there's a little smile on her face. And it's weird. It, it's, it's just the strangest strangest thing I can see her now so old and frail and my mum's had enough by this time because she's got into distance and she's shouting me so off I go all I can think of on the way back is to get to them stones get climb up because I've told her all about it and I get and I look it's in darkness there's no kiln there's no sofa there's no old lady it's just in darkness it's, it's and I'll take that to grave with me. I'll, I'll take all the stories to grave with me with, from night people because they happened. That weren't sleep paralysis. <laughs> I were on Church Street. I mean, I did think, you know, when I wrote the book, uh, Paul and Steve, I did think that I was going to have some kind of download of information. You know, you know I'm, now I'm concentrating on it. This stuff's really going to come in back to me. Lots and lots of uh, sort of bits of information that I'd previously forgot, but there were just two bits. One of them were in 1994 when the spindles turned white, and but I did see what I perceived as beings coming up from the staircase from this huge landing. But the, the other one was on Church Street that day. And I, the only bit was I was kicking leaves. It was autumn. And I could, but I forgot about kicking all these piles of leaves on Church Street, the sycamore leaves. So, so it's no great revelation. It's no great sort of breakthrough of information. But for me, in a way, it was. I established a season, should we say. So we got there, didn't we? We, we did that story. Yeah. I think, um, you know, if I was to refer to these as stories, I don't think I'd be doing them justice, you know. No. They are facts. Um, well, it happened to me. It, 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 it happened. And I don't care how, how people want to 
to believe them or disbelieve them. Uh, you know, it, we're all entitled to his opinions and there might be people thinking, well, Paul, I think Paul's talking a load of uh, BS. Well, have, that is your opinion. I can't, I can't change that. I, I'm just going to, but I will continue saying it as it happened. I don't think I'm going to be able to add much more to them. A few people and have said to me, would you consider regression or some kind of hypnosis? I think I would for, for, for the right, if, if the right people could be, I could be put in touch with the right people. My problem is I'm frightened that I'm going to add to the story and it's not, it's going to be disingenuous. Yeah. And not even meant to be, but I, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I, as I've, I think that as bear, and as, as accurate as I can get them at the moment, you know? Absolutely. And I, I think um, you've got these down on paper. And yeah. like you said earlier on, they're rattling around inside your head like marble. So uh, mm. the more you can get down on paper, the better. <laughs> so night people too. <clears throat> I, don't um, think, I don't think there's room for I, I Seriously, Paul, I don't think I've got, uh, got any more that I could give. Yeah. So, I don't think there is. If I could have got the book... Book of the Strange, that's what it was titled. I just wrote it in pen and ink on the front. If I could get it off the person that stole it from me, I think we'd have more. That's incredibly honest, Paul, because others would see pound signs and mm. uh, write another book. Um, yes. Steve, you're a big fan of Night People. I know you are. Is, mm. is there another story in the book that you'd like to hear? I mean, the stuff about Mr. Lodge is is frightening. The the neighbour, the neighbour from hell. Um you that can sort of uh, go on sorry no it's just 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 one of those i think we've all had them but there's something very insidious and, and very i was sort of thinking on the lines of of the the second poltergeist movie of the of the of the the reverend who's actually demonic yeah and that's the sort of, of the image that you were giving me of this of this of this character that lived that lived next door to you seems satin we, we built a window seat in Mm. We realised there was something strange. We we moved into this little semi-detached house in on Sprockborough Road. It was in Doncaster, and uh, lovely lovely area it was. And the first time we realised anything strange were happening, they'd had an old couple living in house next door to them for years, so they weren't used to the noise. Suddenly, four girls had descended mm. onto the property. Children playing, laughter, and, and that must come as a shock. And I don't, we weren't neighbours that played loud music or anything, but we know when kids went to bed on a night, we, me and Mary were probably sitting bottom at garden with a coffee or something and just sort of, I think, thank God they've gone to bed, just in, like, relax. But there, the next door window, uh, curtains would be open, it'd just be like a big black hole looking up at their window. And you'd see cigarette glow up dark in the, in the darkness, like the glow, and it'd move about and... And it was strange. And then you'd see the door open from the landing and you'd see the old lady that lived there, a silhouette of her come in and then shut the door. And we just found it a bit creepy. And then I built a window seat in the front of the house and we'd sit before we went to bed and have a coffee or something and, and chat. And then it, it, on Sprockborough Road, if the car with particularly bright headlights or a lorry went past, it would shine up. The, the inside of next door's bedroom, they were always in darkness and he'd be sat on a chair looking at us and it'd be, it was sinister and then if I'd be back to him he'd come to the window and Mary'd say, he's there, he's behind you 
And by the time I turned around, you'd just see my slip. <laughs> and it, it was so, it was so strange. But there were a series of strange, almost, I'm inclined to think they're almost like out of body experiences. And Mary shared them as well. We, it didn't go on for weeks, but there were just a time. Mary said that she thought he'd been stood at the side of our bed in the night. And I'd woken up and thought he was there as well. Mm. But he'd come through the wardrobes and I realised that there's people going to be listening to this thinking now he's really gone nuts. We, I, don't, I don't know what was happening. I don't think that, I don't, I don't understand it. It was like a shared experience. But then there was one night and it's, it could have been a dream, this. This has nothing to do with some kind of alien visitation. But I woke up and I was in a bathroom and it was a black and white tiled floor. The, the, the sink had transfer flowers around it that I think they were pink and green leaved and there was a smell. That's the interesting bit. I couldn't pinpoint the smell. And Mr. Lodge, I mean, it's in the night and he walked, the door opened in the bathroom and I'm in this dream. And because we need to point out that the, the stories from night people aren't me, Paul, in a dream that, that I believe what was happening happened. But this scenario, I can't untangle. And he'd look round the door at me. And years and years, a few years went past. I think we were there about five years. And he'd gone away somewhere. And the old lady was shouting. And I, there was, so I've described the bathroom. There was a smell in the bathroom. That I couldn't fathom. And the, the old lady was shouting, I think it was our Gemma. And she was stuck in the bedroom. And the old sort of Bakelite handles, the spindle or something had broke. And as a joiner, I went round and fixed it for her. I let myself in, opened downstairs and fixed this door handle. And I'm looking at that bathroom because I knew I'd been in my dream in that bathroom. So I, and I asked, could I use the toilet? And I opened the bathroom door, black and white tiled floor, mm. transfers round the sink and writes cold tar soap. <laughs> and it were there. And, and it was just the weirdest situation. Now that were totally that were detached from from the the situations that we've I've written about in Night People, uh, or, or all of the other situations. Because as I say, you can't wait you can't wake up in the night and perceive that you're seeing something akin to what people describe as an alien, and and you could sort of have that experience and think that were a vivid dream, that was a horrible dream. But when you've actually woken up then and you've got a series of holes in your arms and a series of holes in your left arm on another occasion and holes in your back on another occasion you realize that there's something more than lucid dreaming more than a, a vivid imagination actually taking place i couldn't stab my back like what, what these things did to me with these great bloody holes in my back sorry for swearing guys but i couldn't do that you know and the doctor's saying that they've, they've, they've the, the wounds extended deep into the dermis and will you tell us mr sinclair who's done this to you you can tell us in confidence and i'm sat there and they know i'm just lying mm. but the, the the truth of it was the far, farthest thing in the world away from what they thought had happened they thought some male or my wife had physically abused me shoved something into my back you've just shown us a pen there as, as big as a pen as thick as a pen and left deep holes in my back which are still scarred they're still scarred on my arms and you can't do that to yourself no and do, do you know it's i don't know i hope i've not been too intense guys it's just no. oh the the mr lodge stuff was was um, whether or not i brought back 
strange memories for me of, of new neighbours moving in and you're never quite sure of them and they always look a little bit suspicious and all that yeah. sort of thing but it it, it 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 affected me that actually that story did did, did affect me when i was when i was reading it because well, it's... It, i don't mean it in a sarcastic way but i'm sort of glad that it's touched people mm. in certain ways i mean the name mr lodge obviously we changed his name yeah and, and i need to we maybe have time you maybe have time to leave this little bit in i need to give full credit to don lodge who helped me edit the book I wrote the book, uh, you know, what the content of the book has come out of this head, but Don Lodge put it together in such a way and structured the chapters. Mm. For instance, adding chapter one, the day night came to stay, that weren't intended to go there. That would have, I would have had that as the second chapter. Don said, no, that's more impacting. And, and I've, I've got Don to thank for quite a lot. He's built the website for me. So I'm full of praise. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm a really big Hammer Horror fan. And that whole story was like from one of their TV anthologies, but it's even more frightening because it's, it's real. Yes. There's an, an, an ethereal, there's the, the quality in that, that it's, it's not fantasy. It's, it's actually happened. And weren't nice. It, it's, it's not nice. And the, the, there is a conclusion to that story because of what happened to you of these of these dreams of these nightmares and of that image that you had of of that bathroom be it premonition or or whatever you might be able to call it you went in there and it's exactly how something told you it would be even to the smell you're spot on i've I've thought about it many times you know is it is it the fact that we for, for a short period of time we were so focused on this guy being been acting sinister that he were consuming our thoughts and would, mm. would somehow tapped into some other part of our mind. And, and I've always, I, I say it like that as, as in times of great stress and emotion, you know, like as if someone passes away, a loved one, a, a lot, I don't mean all the time, but sometimes people claim to have seen their loved one a short time after they've passed away. Is that because they're, they're concentrating so much and they're actually accessing or creating a different uh, frequency where they're actually able to see these things and, and, and interact with this, the, the loved one. I don't know. See, it's funny you say that, but when my, my son passed away six years ago, he was seven. And a few months later, so really away from the whole grief type of thing, that early grief... I was on the phone to somebody, I won't say who it was, but we both heard him. And my son was very, very disabled. He didn't, he verbalised, but it wasn't really in wording and, and that sort of thing. But we both heard him. It was like an old fashioned break in the, you know how sometimes when you, in the old days, you get cross lines and that sort of thing. Yeah. There was like an old fashioned break and he was there for about five seconds. And I swear to, I swear to God, he was there. Never happened again. Um, I don't know whether I found peace after that, but it was there and it was gone. And, and that happened. That happened. That is. That happened. Yeah. And, and, and what I say after hearing something like that, um, somebody like yourself or some other genuine people tell me, tell me something like that. I challenge 
anybody when it's something as personal and mm. something as, as, as precious as what you've just told me, people don't make that stuff up. And, and, and that, that, that is, is a, 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 a thank you for sharing that. With well, you. I, I wish in a way, I wish it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. Y you know, I wish it didn't happen, but it did happen. And we both, we both heard it. Yeah. We both said, do you know what that sounded like? Because it came on and we both, there was like that little bit of silence. And I, and I actually remember saying, well, you know who that sounded like, don't you? Yeah. And it sounded like him because yeah. he couldn't speak, even though he was seven. It's a, 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 a very interesting story. And I have a friend, I'm not going to say his name, and he lost his son a few years ago. And he told me a similar thing. I mean, it, it might be that uh, another one that I'll pass you the name afterwards, uh, Paul, and you might want to speak to this guy because he's one of, well, he's one of Britain's leading landscape artists. Okay. Wow. That's as much as we'll say. And uh, he's got an amazing story, very similar to what, uh, and, a, and a, lot of, a lot of connection has poured a lot of time and effort since, since that tragedy into this. Paul, um, as, as we draw this to a close, um, thank you for being with us. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. It's um, not a, it's a, it's a, it. a, a pleasure to hear you on other shows too, um, because you've got a lot of integrity as an investigator. And, um, you know, to, to hear it from the horse's mouth is, um, you know, we, we just sit back and listen and uh, you take us there. Um, your, your book, Paul, um, has got uh, forwards by some pretty impressive names. Um, you've got Howard Hughes, Whitley Streber, Nick Pope, uh, Robbie Williams, and Philip Mantle. Uh, yeah. All um, of those people rate you as an investigator. Otherwise, they wouldn't write for you. That, that must be incredibly humbling. It's, it's, it's wonderful, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, so grateful. Because, you know, I've had a lot of help. As regards, you know, yeah, just a few kind words from somebody like Whitley Strieber when you, when you're starting out on the first Truth Proof book. That that actually can keep you going for six months. It might sound it sounds a bit silly that, but it really can because it lifts you. And and these people don't have to invest that time. Just a few words and and I like to think that I help other people and you help. You know, Steve does. It's it's all we've we've all got to try and be there for each other, uh, you know, because regardless of what outsiders might think about the subject of the unexplained, it's real. Do you know what he said, which amazed me? Uh, it's a few years ago now, not, it's before night, people, and he said he didn't, and he, I think he's put it in one of his podcasts when, after he'd spoken to me, he didn't know anybody that had been, uh, I don't know, interfered with or more than Paul Sinclair with the visitors. Wow. As he calls them, the visitors, don't he? Yeah, mm. which were a, a, a nice. I don't know. It's a nice thing to say. I don't know. I, I don't know what the correct terminology would be, but it's it's good. It's good. And and I've heard people criticise Whitley's story and say that it's it's not true. And I've read it. I've listened to the guy. I I find him humbling. I I I, I, I believe his story. Let me put it that way. Uh, and, you know, there's certain elements I can't relate to, but that doesn't mean the guy's telling a lie. That's right. 
There'll be lots of things within night people that nobody's experienced before. But it don't, I mean, I know we've run out of time, Paul, but it does, you know, we've got, we've got two rabbits and a guinea pig on a lane in 1970. And I, I don't know anybody else that might have experienced that apart from the guy who were walking home and he told his mum and dad what he'd seen. And I don't know if he saw them beings, but we'll leave that one for another day. <laughs> well, we can. And funnily enough, it was on my list of uh, stories to get, but um, you know, we, uh, I, I think people can read it in the book and uh, they may well hear you talk about it elsewhere too. Um, as far as the book's concerned, Paul, um, where can people get it? People can purchase the books directly from our website now, truthproof.uk. So there's all the three Truthproof books and the Night People. And, uh, you know, or they can still be purchased via Amazon. So it's entirely up to anyone who, who's sufficiently interested. But as I say to everybody, read reviews. You don't necessarily just buy a book because you've sat and listened to me speak today. Read the reviews and, and look what other people think. I mean, there's, there's a few hundred reviews on other books uh, and I don't know all these people and they've been quite favourable. So I think the easiest thing to say is I'm not going to say buy me a book. I'd say read reviews. Paul Sinclair, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Paul. Anomaly is independent media. Thank you to Michette for our theme music. Join us online at anomaly.co.uk, Facebook, and at AnomalyCast on Twitter.